very pleased to have our guest back to the show again. He's been on a number of times, and he's here to talk about his latest album, The Similitude of a Dream, which comes out November 11th as part of the Neil Morse Band. Very pleased to welcome back Mr. Neil Morse. Hey, Roy. How are you, man? Good, man. How are you? Great. Happy to speak with you again. Excellent. What's new? What's new in Neil Morse's world? Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, of course, mainly right now, it's all about the new album, right? Yeah, of course. I haven't seen buzz like this on a new album in a long time. I mean, it seems like pretty, pretty insane and, and overwhelming. I think. Oh, it's it's great. You know, it's really getting a lot of good attention, and uh, and you know, we've gone the extra mile with a lot of different things. You know, with the videos and PR people and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm, I feel like this is the album to do it on. You know, yeah. this is I, this is the time. You know, this album really deserves the attention, and uh, I'm excited about it. The rev- all the reviewers I've talked to, have just they're going bonkers about it, and and uh, so yeah, it's really exciting. Got a lot of questions on it. Some of the typical stuff, uh, how you guys came up with the idea to write it and all that. But I'm wondering, um, you know, you were mentioning all the extra promotion and videos and everything. So was this campaign? Uh, something that you had envisioned before you even started working on this album as as just a next step in something you wanted to do or after you guys heard the finished product you were like well we have to do something better than the norm for this well it just kind of happened you know one thing after another one step at a time you know it wasn't you know it's a combination of a lot of things and I was talking to Mike like in, in August and, you know, he made the suggestion of some people to hire, and I said, oh, well, okay, if we can, let me talk to him. And, you know, and I'd so, you know, it was like one step at a time, one person at a time, one video. You know, I had to make the decision whether to invest the money in the, doing a video shoot, shoot in L.A. as we did. And, yeah, I felt like, man, it's, it's time to really, to really go for it. And, uh We've done a lot of good stuff in the past, you know. I, I, not like we didn't care about other albums. Right. But it just uh, seemed like it was the time. You know, I, I uh, Radiant is putting out this album all over the world for the first time. Uh, we're not using Inside Out. And uh, Metal Blade is a distributor. Metal Blade Sony are distributing Radiant. So it's also on my label all over the world for the first time, and I'm wanting to do a very excellent job and because it's such an excellent album you know you would just want to you want to try to have all all the ducks be in a row and every all the all the planets align and have the thing really uh shoot out of the gate with a bang yeah and handling all that business side of it i'm sure is another had that takes a lot of time and energy from you to manage all that some of the interesting elements on this album you had brought uh eric and bill on board uh, with the band for the Grand Experiment, and they sang a little bit on that one. Um, on this one, they sing a lot, and I, almost at, at some critical moments, uh, you know, some epic parts where it normally might be you uh, historically sort of singing, and now it might be Eric taking taking that direction and stuff. So, how did that evolve into having them become such huge parts vocally on the album? And was it hard for you to let go of that? Not really. Um, you know, I mean, I've had a lot of practice of letting go of vocal parts with flying colors, for example. Sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
you know, and Casey's voice is so great, and these guys, their voices are so good. Um, we we talked about it right at the beginning about wanting this album to be even more of a band sounding album, and part of that would be sharing the vocals. And so that was something right right from the uh, very start that we wanted to do, and I, I think it came out great. They have great voices. Their ranges are higher than mine, so you know. Um, when you're only writing for my voice, you know you could. You, you, it's, there's a certain limitation there, right. and so it was, it was cool to be able to write, you know, some stuff that was a little higher, and uh, give it to them, give it to Eric, or give it to Bill. You know, I don't know how many people have heard the album by the time we post this interview or not. So, w- without trying to give away too much, but I, I do want to ask you about some certain songs and moments. Um, okay. The album is 23 tracks. It easily could have been five or six 20-minute songs or something, right? So uh, right. was the decision there something that was was really thought about, or how would you go about that? That was a Mike thing. Mike always asked. He has certain areas that he likes to be over, and uh, one of them is the, uh, is the tracks, you know, the tra- how the tracks are divided. To me, this, this thing is one big hundred minute piece right it's not really people say oh wow there's you know a lot of short songs on this album I'm like well I, I certainly consider disc one to be the one big continuous piece really uh, there's some breaks on disc two you know but it's laid out kind of like in a way like snow was you know yeah. where the, the whole first disc runs all the way through and then on the second disc, there's a few separated things and you know a couple pauses. It's kind of like that, but it's really one continuous piece. Yeah, I think so. I mean, especially you're saying on disc one, from City of Destruction to Back to the City is almost like side two of Abbey Road is how I described it. It's just you know one one part to the next part to the next part, and uh, you know, and then you revisit some of the themes. So so there's a few recurring themes on there. Uh, the City of Destruction one is is a key one. And then one of the songs, or one of the tracks titled uh, Makes No Sense is like one of my favorite parts on the album. That part in that song at the end where you take the first chorus and then it goes, you know, changes octaves and Eric takes it and then it changes again and Bill takes it. That part is, to me, one of the highlights of the album. How do you write something like that and, and how did you decide to do that, that key change and have them each take a part? Put me through the, the process of that. I think that I had a little bit that I'd written in December. It makes no sense to me to live, la, da, 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 you know, just like a little sketch right. of it. And then when we, the four of us got together to write in January uh, without Mike, uh, not because we didn't want him here, but because he couldn't make it, he was too busy. But we wanted to kind of begin the process. And so we listened to a bunch of my little bits from my phone, and we liked the makes no sense thing. And as we started to write it, as we worked on it, I think we created those verses together. And I I don't remember exactly, but I remember it just seemed like kind of a natural idea to want to change key, and then like, oh, why don't you sing this part, you know, and and then move to the next key and have Bill sing. It was just something that happened in the room. We just started trying it, and, and it, uh, you know, it's one of those things you just experiment around, and you, you try it, and everybody 
just says, yeah, 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 that's awesome. Was it shocking to hear Bill hit that note or at, at that end, or is that just he can do that? I mean, it's really high <laughs> up there. I think I was asking him if he could. Uh, yeah, he said, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll be able to do that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, yes, yeah, so then you know you move on further down down disc one, and you get to "So Far Gone," which is sort of an Eric song, I guess. Um, and you revisit that "Make No Sense" part right there. So when you're writing at certain points along along that album, are you writing it with that in mind, knowing you want to repeat certain things, or you know, are you writing it in in a chronological order? How did you how do you put that together at that time? Well, I think at that point, now we were following the story in the book. Right. So what happens is he, and I'm giving you a real brief synopsis. I'm paraphrasing a lot here. Uh, so Guy's going on his path. He meets the worldly wise man who basically takes him off course just slightly. But as he goes on his way, he winds up kind of, I, I think in the book, he winds up, you know, on the edge of a cliff, and there's like a big storm, and he, you know, really gets in trouble. And that's kind of a so far gone thing. Like, how did I get so far off track? You know, I only, I only made a couple different decisions, and now where am I? Kind of thing. Right. And then um, in the book, the character Evangelist comes and tells the main character that there's a whole there's like I don't know five pages of all this stuff that he says we we we, we pared it down to just the gracious part in the book the book you know written in the in the century it was written at the time that it was written and some some of the stuff that he says to him I think is pretty hard like like yeah you better make sure you know again I'm paraphrasing but yeah you better make sure that you don't get off course because you're really going to get in trouble we didn't go that route. We kind of went more of a, uh, you know, you can always get back on track. You can always come back to God thing, you know, which, of course, is in there, too. You know, God graciously invites him back in, but with a warning. But, you know, yeah, so we were following the story of the book there. And, uh, yeah, man, I love that part. It's one of my most, one of the most touching parts to me is that, um, the broken sky, the hint of broken sky, the you can turn, you're not too far. Yeah. You know, King loves you with all his heart. That would really be evangelist talking to the Christian. And that, I'm going from the book now. The main character's name is Christian in the book. And, uh, of course, it's all a picture. It's all an allegory. And then, yeah, then, then he says back to him, you know, really, do you think I can? Can I really be accepted still even though I've gotten so, so far off track and you know so that's really the, at the end that's a conversation between those two characters but yeah we were following the book and just following our noses and discovering it as best we could yeah that that part's a real climax and then ending it with Breath of Angels on, on disc one is, is great um, one of the other highlights uh, is The Way of the Fool which allowed you guys to follow your, your Beatles sort of uh, love uh, a little bit. Tell me about writing that song, and to have that in there with even Bill singing it is such a change and makes the album, for, at that point, um, you're only in about, you know, maybe 20, 30 minutes or something, and at that point when that song comes in, I think that's when you when everybody can realize, uh, wow, this is really, this album's really going to start going places. It's, it's not the normal normal thing. 
Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, um, it's great the way that song worked in there. It's just perfect. I mean, it's just amazing how I feel like God just orchestrated this album and put things together. You know, we didn't really necessarily know. We were just trying stuff, and then and you kind of sit back and go, wow, that's just perfect. Yeah. Um, Bill had uh, written a song several years ago about um, this foolish guy that put balloons on his lounge chair or something <laughs> in Los Angeles, and 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 it, but it but it went too high. He kept floating up into the. He wound up in the LAX airspace, and they had to they had to get helicopters to bring him down. Well, Bill wrote a song about that called "The Ways of a Fool," and then we kind of took some of those ideas and the basic structure of the song and adapted it to this album and made it about the conversation with the worldly wise man. And I just think it came out great. And then. Uh, that that whole instrumental section in the middle, uh, Bill was just sort of toying. That was another thing that he was sort of toying around with, and we expanded that. And yeah, it wound up being such a cool part of the album. Disc two, God, I could talk about a lot of songs <laughs> on this thing, and because I've been fascinated. And you know, when you have a hundred minutes and so many tracks and so many different parts, it takes a few weeks to really learn it as someone just listening. And really, you know, and you start coming back to certain moments that you that stick out for whatever reason. One that also stands out to me on on disc two is Man in the Iron Cage. Sort of very bluesy, very rock. It, it has that sort of counterpoint with the you screaming verse and, and Eric singing the chorus. Um, you know, uh, what's that part of the story? And, uh, you know, and how did you write that part? Yeah, the Man in the Iron Cage is a character in the book. And uh, I, uh, when I read that part, you know, we didn't, you we couldn't use all of the characters in this book. In fact, we only scratched the surface. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that happens in this book. It's crazy. We came up to that point, and we wanted to to uh, explore that part. I thought the man in the iron cage is definitely, you know, somebody that he needs to meet, and we need to delve into it. And I, I originally writing that, I was just sitting around with a with an electric guitar, just writing riffs. I had a bunch of different riffs, and we kind of listened through all the riffs and, and chose that one, chose that one to be the main one. The, but originally, I think in my original version, I used a different riff as the main riff. I, I don't remember now. I'd have to listen to it. Yeah, I think, I, I think it, I'm really happy with the way that, that whole thing turned out. That's, that's, that's really very much based on the book. So when you were coming up with the idea for what the new album was going to be, did you then start looking for ideas and and uh, is was it suggested to you I guess to to do this or or reading this book being suggested it sparked the idea to do a new album? Yeah, um, last December I was uh, sitting around the studio, you know, playing and and writing, and I felt like I had some good ideas, but I needed some direction and sometimes having a story or some kind of lyrical idea will bring forth the music also, not just the lyrics. I remember somewhere back in my mind, I don't even know how long ago it was, but somebody had suggested to me on the internet that I do a concept album based on Pilgrim's Progress. And it's funny, a lot of people throw these things at me and they just go back in some kind of filing cabinet in my mind, but it came to my mind that day, I thought, oh, remember that thing? I don't know. I've never read the book. I don't own the book. Huh. I guess I'll Google the I'll Google it. So I 
you know, I Googled the, Googled the Spark Notes and just kind of read the synopsis of the story and got some inspiration and, you know, wrote, like, little sketches, just very little bits of, like, maybe the chorus of City of Destruction. And there was a little bit of that We Have Got to Go thing and I think a little bit of the verse to Back to the City, a little bit of Makes No Sense. You know, there's little pieces, a little bit of Broken Sky, uh, but, you know, a lot was missing, <laughs> like a lot. Uh, and so it's kind of like I came in with a paintbrush and started painting with this idea, not knowing if the other guys was, were going to want to join me. And then they came in and started painting, and ultimately, you know, we have all the colors of the rainbow, and the album's done, and it's amazing. That's great, man. Um, so live is the is the plan to play the whole album? Yes, absolutely. Live, we're going to do the whole album. Uh, hopefully, if we get uh, if the venue will allow it, we will also have video behind, and we're going to really do it up right. The last few Morse fests, uh, one those have been uh, really successful, and I think from everything you see on Facebook and the you know the the forums and the community, I think that that's really. Uh, built a real community around your music. I mean, do you pay much attention to that and, and the result of the what that's brought on? Oh, yeah. Isn't it amazing? It's really great. I'm so grateful. Uh, I'm working on the Morse Fest 2015 audio right now, actually, because we're uh, hoping to release that uh, in the early, you know, the, the first half of 2017. And I watched the tour document. I mean, the, not tour, the, the behind-the-scenes documentary. And it's it's just great, and you forget, wow, man, what an epic, what a what a great thing! Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, I think that's been the the fun part for me and a lot of people that have come to the the Morris Fest events is that you leave knowing uh, you know a hundred more people that you didn't know like this music, <laughs> you know, and now you have other people that you can talk to and help turn more people onto it, and uh, that's been a a great thing that you've done with that. Oh man, thank you, thank you, thank you. So, uh, you know, I guess this is going to be sort of the next uh, year of your life is pushing this album, the tour, and, and more promotion and videos. Is that sort of the next, or, or you have other projects you're coming up? Uh, yeah, mainly it's all about this album. Um, I did a blues album for the Inner Circle that's coming out in November. It's pretty cool. Uh, I'm going to be uh, getting together with Flying Colors in December um, to do some writing, and uh, we'll see where that goes, see how much we can come up with. And uh, I'm excited about that. And then uh, the Morse Fest Solo Scriptura and Question Mark Live coming out in probably, hopefully, March. And beyond that, I'm not sure. We're talking about a lot of other things. What about the um, the Snow uh, DVD, you know, Morse Fest DVDs? Is that on the horizon at all? Yeah, that's on the horizon also, hopefully for the end of the year. Wow. All right. So plenty to look forward to for everybody. Very exciting. Uh, Neil, always a pleasure to speak with you, man. I I can't say enough about the album. It's been been great, and I'm sure uh, it's going to get even better. Thank you so much, Roy. Thanks for all your support, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I'll uh, hopefully see you on the cruise, maybe. Oh, yeah. Excellent. All right, buddy. Take it easy. Thank you. Take care, bro. Bye. Bye. Thanks to Neil for the interview. We're going to close with a recent single off of The Similitude of a Dream. This is So Far Gone. For news on the Neil Morse Band tour, please visit neilmorseband.com. And for upcoming news and interviews, please check theprogreport.com. Follow us on Facebook, at The Prog Report on Twitter, or download the podcast on iTunes. Thanks.
Sky to 